Welcome, friends, to the Someone Gets Me podcast. I am your host, Diane Allen, and I am so delighted that you're here. This podcast was created because I believe there is a visionary leader inside each one of us who is waiting to be seen. In each episode of Someone Gets Me, you will hear useful tips from successful visionaries who will share their stories about how being seen has allowed them to take their vision out into the world with action. Conscious transformation is the key. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Someone Gets Me. I have Benjamin Cook with me. He's a really cool guy. I met him through saying the Supporting Emotional Needs of Gifted group. And as he was sharing a talk, I kept saying, oh, my God, oh, my God, I have to know him. Oh, my God, over and over. In fact, I reached out to him before he was even done with his talk. Why would you think that? Well, because finally I was listening to somebody who could have been in my brain speaking almost word for word. So we have a lot to talk about, me and me and Benjamin. And so his bio, his full bio is in the show notes, of course, and all the different ways to reach him. And you're going to love listening to him. So grab your coffee or tea or whatever you're ready to do and listen and be part of this beautiful dialogue about mindfulness to take our mind from being full, mindful, to being mindful. Welcome to the show, Benjamin. Uh, thank you so much, Diane. I'm so excited for this conversation. And I remember that moment I saw your message come through as I was talking and I thought, cool, some sparks. Because it's as, as I'm sure you've experienced when you're delivering a webinar or a keynote like that, that's one way, that's a one-way Zoom. You're not seeing faces, you're not getting that feedback loop. And so that was my feedback loop for the day. And energetically, it just felt really good. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this conversation. I really like the space that you hold and the kinds of conversations that that space enables. And I just can't wait to see where we go here today with this concept of mindfulness and also conscious transformation itself, yeah. which is a huge theme for me. It, it's amazing. And so I want to start with a place that I think so many gifted and talented people, whether they even know they're gifted or talented or not, a lot of my clients come to me and they don't even know they're gifted yet kind of thing. But where a lot of people start because of the way our Western world is, is in what I call mental constipation, Mm. where it's just jammed up in there. Mm. Everything's, you know, and it's difficult and there's procrastination and there's overwhelm and there's burnout and there's that. And there is a way out of that constipation stuckness. And so for me, I think that the kind of the laxative, if you will, is <laughs> sound and breath and music and get flow and movement going. And so what I would what I want to start out talking about with you is how did you learn how to come out of your head and into the rest of you? Like, how did you start making that transformation in your own self? Because I, I see that in men, especially, they're really trained away from that flow. So how did you do it? How did you get started? Yeah, what a beautiful question. And that extended metaphor of mental constipation and <laughs> even, even adding the laxative touch to the metaphor just got, got really vivid for me. Yeah, it is, it's such a great question. And um, it's, it's bad enough for any human being, but when you throw in the fact that you have individuals who process the world at higher and faster frequencies like many gifted humans do, you know, throw in the concept of over excitabilities, if you will, and that processing speed is even more amplified from, mul- from multiple dimensions. And you have a ripe 
perfect storm for that mental constipation to happen. And for me, here's the crux of it. It's uh, it's what I call outside in versus inside out compassing. And I use the word compass in terms of understanding your own sense of direction, your own sense of purpose. And we're kind of trained from birth to present to process information from the outside in through our senses. And we inherit all kinds of scripts and stories. And these go get calcified and, and crystallized in our subconscious mind as these paradigms. And those paradigms get kind of narrow and thin. And then as new information begins to come through, I'm building on the constipation metaphor here, at least trying to, those channels for information to kind of penetrate and help us grow and expand are smaller and smaller. And so we end up in this big old intellectual knot. Okay, that's where the constipation happens first intellectually, and then this natural energetic flow that we all have access to in our bodies that stops as well. So the emotions, the trauma, some big, some small, all these things get sort of locked into our body and then there's a whole nother level of constipation. And so for me, I started my own personal kind of spiritual journey in my early 20s and I started meditating. I met a teacher from Tibet, a Tibetan Lama. So I started practicing in that tradition. And uh, in the beginning, it was a lot of when you first approach spirituality out of curiosity, it's still a very intellectual thing. So you're not helping your constipation initially very much, right? Because you're just adding more layers of stuff, right? Right, right. But, But eventually you start practicing consistently enough and deeply enough and you have some experiences and you do some retreats that are a little bit more intense and you start to crack through that intellectual layer and you get into what nowadays everyone's using the word somatics, right? The, uh, the energy body, the, the way these energies kind of stall and move or don't move within our bodies. And you start to have experiences where you feel things move. Um, and I recently was working with a teacher who called this sort of bottom-up work, bottom-up work. So much of us try to attack the world and, and attack our lives top-down, from the head, from the thoughts, from this noisy conscious mind. But what I discovered, now to go directly to your question, what I discovered is when you can move things around below the conscious mind at the energetic level, mm-hmm. the, mind, the mind level will change and shift eventually. But the energy is what moves and opens up that possibility. And so I had a few experiences first spontaneously of moving energy through my body somatically and realizing, ah, this is the key. This is where you can cut through so much of the BS and get to the root of the work and then start to reformulate your thinking patterns and your paradigms. So that was, you know, things like sound healing and breath work and certain types of meditation and movement. And, you know, for me, those are absolutely crucial. You cannot rely on simply the the life of the intellect. It's a wonderful tool and we need to apply analytical thinking to a lot of things, but that's not a complete picture. So for me, that's, that's my answer. Uh, to your great opening question was I stumbled across it accidentally through some practices and then realized, okay, this is it. Like this is where it's at. And this is not only helping myself when I started to get really comfortable in that belief and those practices, I'm like, that's where I need to extend and help others. And you mentioned men. Yes. Men, especially because of cultural conditioning 
and their own paradigms that get developed about how even how they physically hold their bodies, how they express emotions, where they hold their emotions. It's there's a lot of constipation going on. And it takes a special skillfulness to unlock that. You know, you can't you can't always go in really direct. You have to offer those men opportunities and avenues where they kind of just begin to discover it for themselves. So yeah, what a beautiful way to open. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And I, I'm sitting here thinking that and it's I think it's also true, like especially for bright and talented, gifted people. But I think it's well, it's true for most people in my world, which are probably all bright and talented, is is the whole idea that first of all, we want to have some kind of concept of how come we're learning what we're learning or like have some mm-hmm. kind of container that makes sense to us. You know, um, the why questions or or those kinds of curiosity things are there. And also I think that sometimes um, especially with the men I work with is that they don't even know how to breathe mm. and like, like at all. And, and I've been a specialist in addiction for a long time, probably more decades than you've been alive or close to it. And, um, you know, and I always tell everybody there's like hierarchy of addiction. The first thing we do to moderate pain in our world is hold our breath when we're mm-hmm. baby. Mm-hmm. the breath, you know, like when you get your first shot, hold your breath, that won't hurt. And pretty soon, you know, then we do food and then sexuality and then drugs and alcohol. So by the time most people run into someone like you or I, who's like helping them, like bring it back all together there, they don't breathe. Yeah. And the men I see hold their breath, like mostly up here, like they're barely breathing up here. That mm-hmm. I've also noticed, and I want, I'm curious if you've noticed this too or not, is I've also noticed in some of the women that I work with, that when they inhale, they suck their belly in, like they have trained their bodies to breathe backwards. Mm-hmm. What's natural. Yeah. And that's just completely sending the wrong message to the system. And so there's, we got to start with something really basic. Like when you breathe in, your belly goes out. Mm-hmm. Do you see that too? Or Yes, you- yes, absolutely. And it's so, it's so important what you're saying because breath is the master key to our nervous system. You know, we're, we're one of the only living creatures that can access our autonomic nervous system when we want to. It doesn't need us to, like we've never had to remind ourselves to breathe or remind our heart to beat, but we have the ability to, through our breath, to tap into our nervous system. And breath, um, sets the tone for every all the ways that we process the world as you know so improper breathing shallow breathing mouth breathing the reverse breathing that you mentioned we never give our parasymp- parasympathetic system the opportunity to complete its rest and recover we've got, we've got excess cortisol streaming through our system and this has implications all over a person's life their cognitive processing is changed because of that um, how they sleep is changed because of that, how they digest food. So that's n- often the number one thing you have to work on with a client. I know I'm not a therapist, but as a coach, uh, when I'm working with a new client, that's one of the first things we have to approach is, um, all right, the breath, your nervous system, your regulation, your window of tolerance for your nervous system. Like, where are you? And usually it, it's a matter of implementing some kind of mindfulness focused breathing so for me mindfulness breathing is a, a stronger focus on the parasympathetic as opposed to other types of breath work which temporarily you you tap into the nervous system to actually accelerate it temporarily um to activate some other things in the nervous system but but that first foundational level is 
relearning this natural, beautiful process of breath. And it's as simple as you said it, you inhale, your belly expands, you exhale, it contracts and on and on. It's just this natural rhythm. And then you can start with things like the length of the exhale versus the length of the inhale and a heart rate variability and, and things like this. You know, as we inhale, um, we're naturally accelerating our heartbeat, even, even slightly, even a single breath cycle. And as we exhale, we're slowing our heartbeat. And you can even test it on yourself in a single breath cycle. So when we extend the exhale for a few cycles of breaths, overall, we're kind of um, down-regulating our system. So things like this, as, as, you, as you keep bringing up, especially for bright minds, gifted minds with these really active, high potential nervous systems, they especially need this, this knowledge and this discipline to be able to apply to their own nervous systems to self-regulate. But what you talk about when someone reverse breathes like that, mm -hmm. that's just what an indication of how disconnected they are from their, their body's kind of own innate wisdom. Yeah, you know that they their mind has sort of interfered to the level that like the the switch got flipped somehow. You right. Know? Well, I I was asking somebody about it, and I said, you know, I have a theory, and the theory is that girls, teenagers, usually in teenagers, are taught you have to have your belly sucked in, you have to have a flat mm -hmm. stomach to be attractive, and the only way to do that is keep holding it in, and so when you inhale, it can't go out because you're not attractive, and so the whole cultural dynamic that you're only attractive if your stomach is flat and you're not allowed to show your breath mm -hmm. has created a ton of disconnection in addition to all the other ways. Yeah. Connection. And, and so I, um, I notice it a lot. And I, so sometimes I just start with, okay, this is, my work is in, and I'm sure you're, you you do the same kind of thing is, okay, well, we can learn this stuff, but we also need to like help the body out. So we can actually burn this candle from both ends, mm. and get some payoff pretty quick, mm. you know, to kind of jumpstart movement for someone. Um, and so now I want to shift a little bit because you mentioned something else that I really want to talk about. Okay. Um, and that is the internal versus external locus of control. Mm, yeah. And, and I laughingly or lovingly, say that I blame that on Aristotle. Mm. Um, if Plato, if Aristotle would have followed what Plato taught him, then we wouldn't have such, a, such an issue and people laugh, laugh, but I think it's true, truer than we want to believe. So how do, we, how do you teach somebody how to be open to or even identify that inner wisdom when they're so externally focused? Yeah. What are some steps that that you see that are really beneficial to help somebody like wake up to what's in there a little bit and let that compass start to move again? Mm, yeah, I love that question. Yeah. So the, the first foundational step and answer is mindfulness. But since we've already talked about that, I kind of want to move on to what I would do next or the, or not all not. It's not always linear. What I would also do what what I do also do. Okay. And uh for me, it's kind of an indirect approach and you might call it, you might call it a little bit tricky, but it's, it's what works for people. So what I do is I get them excited. First of all, with mindfulness, we kind of like calm down. We, we turn off, turn off the monkey mind a little bit. We get them a little bit tuned into their inner sense, the proprioception, right? And then from there, 
we, I try to get them to really connect to a true burning desire that's really theirs that normally they might even be afraid to say out loud. You know, so right. a, a lot of us are walking around with these inherited scripts about what we should do, what we should love, what we should, 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 right? right. We don't right. even, we don't even remember. So sometimes I even have to tell a client, like, let's go back to when you were seven years old. Like what, what lit you up from the inside when you were seven or eight or nine? And just kind of remember that feeling that wasn't an accident. It wasn't a coincidence. Let's go back to that. There's, there's some root in that that's important. And then we start to talk about, okay. What, what would it mean? And I walk them through this process of kind of like, I call it purpose discovery, right? And so it's a series of questions. They're not that complicated, but it has to do with what they truly, truly love, that, that real desire that I was just talking about. And then I ask them to really take an honest look at themselves and what they're really, really good at. Like, what are your talents? Like, what are you really talented at? No matter what, there's something that just comes absolutely natural to you, then that's an overlap. And then there's a third component I bring in. This might sound familiar to you or some listeners. There's a there's diagrams out there that, that have like a quadruple Venn diagram and these things overlap. That's kind of the inspiration of, of the work. But this third circle that's really important is, okay, pause, look at the world that we're in right now, 2022, and what does the world need right now? It could be uh, it could be a, a physical thing that the world needs. It could be a product, a system, a service, a new way of thinking, a new way of being. And then I want you to find a place where those three things are kind of all overlapping. Okay. Okay. So something that you love, something that you're good at, you've got talents at, and something the world needs. That sweet spot right there in the middle. That's right territory for you to really get at what you why, why you're on planet earth and i'm okay either way some people it's like uh it's like karmic destiny and there's a they take a more metaphysical approach to it and i'm really comfortable with that but i'm also fine with the existentialist who's like i, I don't believe any of that but i just want to construct a better life that's great too it, the process works either way so right. you kind of you kind of play around in that sweet spot for a while and um sort of explore that overlap and then from there I invite them to articulate a purpose statement, okay? Purpose statement. And it usually doesn't come out quite right the first time. It takes some work. You got to revisit it, you know, every 90 days or so and keep, it's something that evolves. But once they've done that little bit of work, you've, they spent some time on that inside space that we're talking about, like in, the, in their true inner space. And then you, and then you can come up in the conversation and you can begin to ask, okay, well, why doesn't, why doesn't your current life align with that right now? Like what, what are the obstacles? Okay. And then uh, because the initial training that we all get is to externalize. Okay. Blame, blame, blame you, 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 that system, this, this, that, right. I, and, oh yeah. and there are structural inequities and things like this that I acknowledge for sure. But a massive, a massive percentage of our experience is um, our internal projections that we've kind of created this masquerade around ourselves, right? And so I, you, I leverage that excitement because when someone goes through that process that I just described, the purpose discovery, they've been spending several minutes, sometimes up to an hour, because I, I created a workshop called the Purpose Lab where it's two, a two-hour lab. By the end of that two-hour lab, 
they've been in that space for a while, they're feeling kind of primed and excited. That's a good moment to ask them to take a look at that power that they've generated and say like, all right, that's your life force. What you're feeling right now is your, your life force. It's precious. How are you going to spend it? Are you going to spend it pointing your finger at these sort of external obstacles? Are you going to do whatever the heck you can with that to realize and kind of fulfill your purpose here? And that, that helps open up the conversation because then in from that space, they're more willing or they're more likely to ask things like, okay, well, how, how do I overcome this obstacle then? And then, and then I can ask them some questions where we start to find their pair, their paradigms, you know, like 99.9% of us have paradigms about money. Right. And I've had to do personally so much work about money, money, energy, and finances to like re completely re-engineer my paradigm about money. Right. So that might be a block about relationships, about education. And then you can start to find kind of one by one, these little paradigms that are little walls. You can almost start to see in their mind, right? These little walls that they have. And then you can help help them uh, begin that inside out process of reframing. Maybe it's affirmations. A lot, I, my go-to is that I do with almost everyone is a gratitude practice, right? Start your day with a gratitude practice. And then the affirmations, and then use that goal. I call, for me, like goals, the real purpose of a goal is a, as a gravity generator. That's what I call goals. I love it's it. Not, you know, it's not the goal itself. Like we, we set these big goals that seem like they're achievement oriented or things like this, but it's really just about the personal, the expansion of your own potential. And they're like the fuel and the gravity that are going to help you break through those paradigms that like have you kind of locked in. And what for me, for me, conscious transformation, to go back to title, conscious transformation is bringing awareness and intention to this process of expanding. And so a, what a goal does is it helps us do that, because if it's a real if it's a goal that's really aligned with this desire I was talking about. Mm-hmm. And it's big enough. The, the, the mere excitement of it is going to be like a gravity that helps pull you through those tough moments because it's not easy. As you know, you're going to have to break through all kinds of yucky stuff in order to go to that next level of expansion for yourself. And so that's why that's why the goal is important. So it was a roundabout way of answering your question. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, but that's my approach is like kind of like help them get excited about a big external goal and then have them help them see, ah, the only way you're going to get to that is to transform from inside out. And to do that, you got to you got to take responsibility. Well, I think I think you said something in that external goal thing that's extremely important that that the majority of people out there I see miss. And that is it has to be connected to that convergent spot within first. So it's like that has to be connected here. It's just not a good idea or my brother said I should, or my grandfather said I should, or blah, 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 blah. The world says I should because I'm smart or whatever it is. Yes. It has to be connected to our essence, our heart's desire, our vision. I call it an ambition statement. You call it purpose. It's the same mm. thing. Like they have to be connected so that literally it grabs our heart and moves us forward. Because like you said, 
that process can be very messy. It's like finger painting. I always see it. (laughs) And something beautiful comes out of it, but boy, is it a mess along the way at times. And and it's okay. It's supposed to be. Yeah. And that's why it's such cool work, Diane, because like you said, now now we're circling back to to the somatics a little bit, Mm -hmm. because if you ask someone to set a goal that's truly aligned with their heart, first, they have to break through that little box that they built around their heart. Or Or if they're reverse breathing, like there's like a barrier right here, they're not even connected to their body. So that's why the mindfulness is a foundation because got to get them back. Got to, we have to get back into our bodies first into the wholeness of our energy system, then you can ask someone to tap into their true heart's desire. And so I love it because this is where the mindfulness kind of connects with the goal setting for me. And and what I'm really loving about this conversation is what we're talking about, about conscious transformation is being aware that I've heard so many people, I'm only going to do one thing at a time. Mm. And that doesn't work. Right. Because the universe is always expanding in unity, diversity, and complexity, as are we, because we're part of the universe. So to say I'm only going to do one thing at a time doesn't even make sense Mm. if we're really going to allow ourselves to live our authentic purpose for sucking air here on planet Earth, whatever that Mm. is. So I I love how you're saying that because it is mindfulness and it's breathing and it's paying attention to our mindset and it's making sure that we and then we have to learn things. You know, how come you breathe this way or not that way? And what is internal locus of control anyway? And how do I know if I'm doing that? There, There is lessons to learn and there's experiences to have so that they can come out of all the little constipated areas. Mm. And so everybody can flow and be happy. Yeah. And I think so many people, we get caught in that linear world of, you know, if it doesn't go on an Excel spreadsheet and isn't a line item thing, the check off. Yeah. That, that that's not the point. That's still yeah. sitting in our head when you have an Excel spreadsheet you're checking off. Yeah. You, that's okay. And that's a little tiny part. There's all the rest of this that's going on. That's really vital to pay attention to. Yeah. And one of, one of my backgrounds is working with, with kids, right? With students. I was a teacher for many years, but last several years as I've, you know, really um, worked in this self-development space and coaching. So many people approach me who are kind of midlife and they're sensing this uh, misalignment misalignment with their current lives like they're starting to feel that spontaneously and naturally Mm -hmm. and when you start we start to work do this process with them it's really it's really difficult for them to leave the spreadsheet like you're saying it's really difficult for them to really be honest with themselves about what what do I truly desire but they've there's so many scripts and stories that have become crystallized by mid-age by middle age that it's a really tough and can be painful process to even just get honest with yourself in midlife because maybe you, you, you're worried you're going to realize some regrets about how you've spent that life force, but that's okay. That's okay. The fact that you're kind of having that discomfort is a beautiful sign that your awareness is expanding to the point where you're ready to grow from that. But yeah, but there, yeah, you, you start asking them questions and they begin to doubt, like, can I even have that thought? Can I even want that thing? Like, is that 
Okay. Like that's, that's kind of like the voice in them. It's a powerful, but difficult process. Right. So that's one of the reasons why, and and I'm sure you're going to agree with this, that I'm a big proponent on having a mentor or a coach or somebody I prefer to, I'm more of a mentor than a coach in, in my work. And I think it's important because if we need to have somebody kind of like a friend, one of my clients actually the other day said, you know, we're all walking down this really dark mountainous trail and you're the one with the flashlight. Mm. So just keep holding our hands and leading us. And we, you have the flashlight, you know where to go. And I'm like, yeah, well, it's because I've already walked it myself yeah. um, in the dark. And so it's important that we realize that um, part of what we've been trained is to grieve alone and deal with our pain alone mm. in, the, in Western society. Yeah. That's the opposite of, of the truth. Mm-hmm. The truth is that we're meant to come together. We're pack animals. We're meant to have people in our corner. We're meant to be understood. We're meant to be heard and cared for and loved in all different mm-hmm. kinds of ways. And so just simply seeking a mentor, seeking a coach, seeking someone who gets you, that step alone can start a really powerful transformation to come out of that siloed, I got to do it by myself. I can figure it out. <laughs> I'm yeah. for that, right? Yeah. And allow somebody to be in 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 with us, you know, that's not afraid of the mess, that's not afraid, that knows what to do, that can just be there and hold yes. that. Space. Yeah. And I think it's so important that um that we remember that, that that we say it out loud. We, we understand it, but that we say it out loud because I think a lot of people don't ask for the help that they could really use or need or support or w- assistance, whatever word. Yeah. Because of that belief that I can figure it out. I'm smart. I can figure it out. I can do it alone. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You're really hitting on something I think a lot about because, because of my experience kind of like uh, in Eastern practices and Eastern traditions, as you know, uh, in the East, the concept of the teacher or the guru is just a fact. Like it's what you're describing from a spiritual point of view. It's just like, yeah, I need someone who's a little bit further along than me, who can see a little bit more of the road than I can to help guide my next few steps. And that's just how it is. Right. And it's, uh, having a mentor, a mentor or a teacher in that capacity is like a massive time and pain saver. Because yes. you're, you're getting the advantage of all that wisdom condensed and packed into a package for you. But in the West, I agree with you. I think about this a lot. In the West, I almost, my, my personal theory is that it goes back to the Puritans and sort of this puritanical, really extreme individualism. Yeah. That just culturally, it's in our DNA in the West, right? In the U.S. at least. And, you know, this rugged individualism and I don't need nobody and I, I can do this and I'm tough and I stand on my own two feet. But like you said, it ends up isolating us and preventing us from really growing. And I think there's a softening that has to happen, a, a vulnerability that has to happen. In balance, it's like a strange um, paradox almost, because you have to open in a sort of soft vulnerability that, yes, I do need help. But at the same time, having a sense of your own limitless potential at the same time of like, I'm this limitless being, but I need help, (laughs) you know? Right. Well, I always tell everybody that if it's spiritual, there's a paradox in there. Yeah, exactly. There has to be. I remember you just reminded me, this is, this is a little bit off the story, but it really, it's so, you reminded me of when I was a child, um, the dentist told my parents, like I was in 
junior high school, probably that I had crooked teeth on the bottom, not real bad, but a little bit. And that he goes, well, she could use braces, but doesn't really need, you know, they're not, not required for her bite. And, and so they declined to get them for me. So I was in my forties and I went to an orthodontist and I said, I am exercising my, my right to get the braces that my parents denied me of. And the guy looked <laughs> like I was nuts. Right. And it, like, what are you doing? I don't know. Seriously. I said, I was told I don't really need them because my bite's perfectly fine. And I'm also exercising my right to say, I want them now so that my teeth will be perfectly straight. Mm. They are perfectly straight. And, and he, the, the, the orthodontist looked at me funny when I said that. And I said, well, it's true. You know, like when you're in eighth grade or seventh grade, if the parents say no, then it's a no. Yeah. And then I woke up one day and decided, well, I'm, I'm going to exercise that right. And so I think even those shifts as we grow and get older, because I've been working on my personal development since my early 20s. Mm-hmm. And um, but then it, there was that moment where I'm like, well, this is not acceptable. And this is what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. It's all those little pieces, like you were saying, the paradigm, those little walls, those little obstacles that are within all of us, because either they're crystallized in from old information or it's a story we've been running that we don't even realize we're running. Yeah, exactly. It's unconscious. There, yeah. Right? Been there all along. Why would I, yeah. why would I question it? Right. Yeah. So that think that's the beauty of all of this really deep, mindful, profound, conscious work. Yes. The beauty that comes out on the other end far transcends anything our brilliant genius gifted brains can even think of we cannot comprehend the amazing beauty that comes out on the other side it's not possible oh 100 percent yeah 100 percent. i love how you brought up that that these paradigms that we're talking about are are unconscious they're below the surface of our current awareness oh. and so there's it's a it's a scary thing when you begin to do the waking up process of realizing little by little that the foundation of pretty much everything you believe and you <laughs> built your, your concept of life on is actually just a construct and you're going to have to let it go. And um, there's this, there's a teacher, uh, a, a Tibetan teacher, he passed a few years ago, but he has this great quote that I love, Chogyam Trumpa. And he says, the bad news is that you're falling. No, no, you know, the bad news is that you're falling through space. The good news is there's no place to land, so you won't get hurt. <laughs> Something like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that one. Yeah. yeah. And so it's the, true. I know. It's I know. True. But like you said, there's a beauty in that. There's a beauty in just uh, surrendering to that a little bit. And then for me, that's where the conscious comes in, the conscious transformation. Like we're constantly transforming we're constantly evolving whether we want to or not. So why not bring consciousness to it and why not bring intention to it and let it be a journey, let it be an unfolding that's fun. And that's uh, an exploration of your own potential. I want to can I bring, I'm going to bring something in that um, I actually triggered myself when I used the, when I used the phrase waking. Yeah. So the there's American philosopher, Ken, Ken Wilbur. Do you know him? Yes. Okay, so he there's a concept that I read from him a few years ago that I've just loved and I use it as a real framework to think about things a lot. He said there's in the in the growth in the spiritual process, there's two axes or two planes. 
One is waking up. And this is like the waking up of our consciousness. And the East is really good at this part, which is like breath work, meditations, visualizations, things that expand our consciousness, our conscious awareness. But he said, there's a whole nother level of spiritual evolution, which is growing up. And uh, actually your story reminded me, your braces story reminded me of that too. And this is how, how we bring that waking up into relation with others and how we live our lives. And this is like the social, the social bonding, the boundaries that we set, how, how we partner with others, how we lead, how we follow like this. And actually Western psychology has contributed a lot to this aspect of the process, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm a particularly, I'm a fan of Jung and, uh, and, and thinkers like that in terms of Western psychology, but I just, and so in my personal case, just using myself as an example, I also in my early 20s began like my really intense kind of like self-development journey, right? right? And so, but for me, that was like all about waking up. So I spent years, decades, more than a decade doing the waking up part. But I had I had kind of neglected the growing up and I hadn't really developed myself as a social interrelational being. And so it's only been the last eight eight to 10 years that I had to do that part of the work. And now I feel like I'm finally in a stage of my development where my waking up and growing up are starting to like, you know, come together. They're dancing together. (laughs) Exactly. They're creating a symphony that is beyond what you ever imagined was going to happen when you started. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's really, really amazing. I could sit here and talk about this with you for days. Because it's it, it enlivens my soul. Yeah. And my eyes get bigger and I'm like, yes, another person. There's somebody else who I can say what I'm really thinking and they they get me, you know. Like, yes. I don't yeah. explain the words as I go along, which is really beautiful. Um, and but I'm also being really aware of your time and devotion to being here with me. But I have a couple other things I want to ask. Yeah, please. That are that I think are important. One is everybody, if you're listening to Benjamin and you're really loving what he's saying, like I am, and go to the show notes and follow him on social media and go hit him up and get whatever information you can. <laughs> That's what I say. Um, <laughs> learn as much as you can if his voice is resonating with you and what he's saying is resonating with you, because that's a call to action right there if it resonates. Um, and I want to remind you to do that. Now, if somebody's listening to us, and they're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they started when they were in their 20s. And they're like, their ego, that's not their amigo, is trying to be a naysayer, even though they kind of want to lean in a little bit, but their ego is back here. What would you suggest to that person that's kind of in that beginning step? Like they want to step, but they're not sure. What would be a great first step to say, yes, let me check out doing something different? Yeah, yeah, great question. Um I know. And it's almost this trap that the older you get, <clears throat> the more, the more crystallized you get, the firmer that ego grip is. And it's harder to like make the cross that threshold into doing some of this work. Right. But it doesn't have to, it's probably not the kind of work you think it is. That's my first answer. It doesn't have to be um, this massive debilitating life transformational weekend or something like this. You know, it's uh, <laughs> it can be a, a gradual beautiful unfolding process. Now, as you and I have been talking, Diane, we've both been clear that there's painful parts, right? If if you're unfolding into your own authenticity, there's going to be painful parts. 
but it's okay to do this at your pace. And there are a million paths out there. And that's because there are a million different types of minds. And there is a path out there for you. I guarantee it. However, you are wired emotionally, spiritually, physically, there's some path out there that will resonate with you that you can find and follow. And, um, but it is important for me, and this is kind of the, the most direct advice I'll give. It is important to not just let it be an intellectual exercise. Mm. You have to find a way to, to embrace it with your whole system. And, you know, I'm biased, but for me, that means starting with some kind of mindfulness practice. And there's a gazillion different mindfulness practices out there. You could even just get an app and start doing that. But you have to like really settle into your nervous system at the beginning of this process. But I want to, since I know a lot of your listeners are familiar with gifted terms and terminology, I think of it in terms also of like asynchronous development and that no matter who's listening, if they're still listening to this, it's because something has resonated with them and they're curious and they do want to do some something next. Right. And so I love this concept of asynchronous development that you can take the brightest, most gifted kid you've ever seen. And, you know, those those different areas are going to be really wacky out of balance. And some things they're going to be like, whoa, right. You know, light from the sky. And they're going to be below in quotes, below average in some other area. And so as adults, we're coming to this the same. So don't be afraid to just know that you're asynchronous. You you know, you might be used to being like the smartest person in the room in something. Now here you are stepping into this new space with a new vocabulary. Don't, don't get intimidated. All that vocabulary stuff is learnable. They're just talking about stuff that we all have access to. Right. That's a good yeah. idea. I'm glad you said that because it's so true. You know, like I, I learned a long time ago about the beginner's mind. And so, and since I spent so much of my time teaching and educating and inspiring, I love it when I get to go learn from someone else and I get to be in the audience. Mm. Like, oh, let me learn anything or just soak in the energy of whatever it is. It doesn't matter. Like, I just love it, love it, love it. Absolutely. You know, and when you learn to appreciate it. And an, a, a caveat that I want to add to when you said it, when we were talking about working on all this, everybody is the language that we're using work is not Western because Western work means implies vacations that Mm. it's really hard and I need a break and I have to do it. And there's all of this, this not so pleasant energy that comes with the word work Mm. in Western society. What we're talking about is the ability and willingness and desire to look within and check out all the cool things, almost in um, like an archaeologist or a playful mm. kind of manner that has all different kinds of pace to it. Like a Montessori school, you don't have to get it all done tomorrow. And it's not about, let me hurry up and get through this by the weekend because now I need a vacation. It's it's a different mindset um, and way of looking at it. And the moment I learned that, I learned that I could have fun while I went through all this crazy stuff. I mean, I've been crying and weeping and laughing at the same time because it was really like, cool, you know, like, oh my God, look, I broke through that. And I'm I'm like, but that's the beauty of it. Yeah. I'm so glad that you brought that up, Diane. Yeah. It's, it's a different context for this whole term of work. We have to reconceptualize that. Thank That's a beautiful clarification. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Okay, so I have a couple final questions for you. 
Um, and the first one is, what is the most memorable food you've ever eaten? Ooh. Wow, you stumped me with that one. <laughs> I love it. You got me. You got me out of right field or left field. I wasn't expecting that. So unexpected or what was the term you used? Memorable. The most Mem oh. memorable food that you've ever eaten. Okay. Okay. There is uh there is a place in Lebanon. Yeah. So I, for, for one of my projects, New Minds, one of the companies that I co-founded, I've traveled to Lebanon often to do, do teacher trainings. And so up in the mountains of, outside of Beirut, there's this incredible farm to table vegan restaurant run by these two, this architect couple that left Beirut to go live in the mountains. And they serve the most like high vibe food I've ever experienced. And just sitting there in their restaurant, looking out across the valley and eating one of their falafel is just like mm. transport, transport. That's that's the answer that came to me right now. <laughs> that's beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Oh, I love it. That is terrific. Now, before you get the last question of the day, I want to make sure there's nothing else on your heart that you wanted to share that maybe we didn't talk about or I didn't ask about that feels like a burning desire because I'd like us to feel complete when we're done. Yeah. No, honestly, that that felt wholesome and whole. The conversation, I felt, I loved the the meanders and the turns that it took, and I feel good. I think, I think, yeah. hopefully, hopefully, we gave listeners a lot of constructive things to process. I believe that every listener who hears us as a gift within it for themselves that not even they realize until. Mm. They and so your, the final question that I love to ask is if we were going to put a billboard up that the whole world was going to see with Benjamin Cook's quote, <laughs> what is your statement for your billboard that you would love everyone to see the whole world, not just gifted people, but like everybody? Okay. I know you said a Benjamin Cook quote, but I'm going to, I'm going to use a Carl Jung quote that I love. That's like, it's one of my favorites and it's, it's like the crux of everything for me. And I'm going to paraphrase, but Jung said, he, he who looks outside dreams, he who looks inside awakes. So in other words, that's for me, that's a perfect paraphrase of what we've been talking about, of like this inside out, like you are the portal. So the work, the work is in you. This outside stuff will change, but this is where you go. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Benjamin, for being on the show with me on Someone Gets Me and, and for this great conversation. I feel alive and enthusiastic and I have goosebumps all over. As Woo, I love Thank it so much. <laughs> yeah, I feel great, too. Thank you, Diane. It's been an honor. Uh, you're welcome. So remember, everybody, keep your face to the sun so the shadows fall behind you because you're a rock star. You are here on purpose with a purpose. So go out there and look within so that you can awaken to the beauty of your own essence. Until the next episode of Someone Gets Me, you up. Thank you for listening. I trust you gained some valuable inspiration and information. Please join me and other visionaries in the Someone Gets Me Facebook group. Or for more information on my services and additional episodes, visit someonegetsme.com. Again, thanks for listening.